If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter once again and middle of that passage in chapter 2 verse 18 likewise also you should be glad and rejoice with me but yet there was suffering and there was sacrifice and there was faith and there was serving and there was one anothering going on the relationship uh, that was going on and um, and then again at the end there the last verse finally my brothers rejoice in the Lord and so I, I chose that passage to begin to even prepare our hearts for our last final session together this morning. We have been walking through the book of First Peter together this weekend. Definitely not giving it uh, in four sessions uh, the justice it deserves, but just really we kind of cherry-picked four aspects of the Christian life that Peter uh, hits throughout his writing uh, in this letter. And it is of suffering. It's in the midst of living in a hostile world. And we are familiar with that as Christians, knowing just the general uh, suffering of sin in this world, but then that extra sense of suffering because we follow Christ and because uh, those who do not follow Christ are hostile towards those who follow Christ. And so we see the persecution that often comes and has come throughout history for following Christ. And so we have looked at already the hope we have, and we're going to go back and look a little bit on that this morning. We looked at how that moves us to holiness in verse 13, that therefore preparing your minds for action. And then last night we spent some time looking at what does it look like in the one another's of Scripture, the harmony, the love that we should show to one another because of the hope that is within us. This morning, our last thought and last kind of tag line or kind of bullet point here is happiness. And I just completely, being honest with you, it was, it was the nice end to the alliteration. And so we had to keep the H. I mentioned even that joy would probably be a better word. But in our English language, there is a sense of uh, similarity between the two words. And really in our joy, we're going to find the importance is where does that joy come from? And in our happiness, our, our smiles, our spirit, our countenance, our attitude, our heart, where does that flow from? And that is going to be the heart of our, our message this morning from the text. But just to start with, when have you been the most happiest? Is that, a, is that grammatically correct? When have you been the most happy? I think I had a double superlative there or something. When have you been just like looking at, back at your life like, man, that was a time of just joy. That was a, that was a sweet time. Uh, maybe just on a superficial level, it was at the happiest place on earth. Maybe. Have you ever been to Disneyland? Any Disneyland uh, fans here? You guys are all looking at it. You are. You're a Disneyland fan. <laughs> you go all the time. You got all the gear. You wear the matching t-shirts and you're all into it. We, we used to go to Disneyland once a year as a family until uh, my dad at one time wanted to boycott them, and then it didn't last for long, and we went back again. And, and uh, we, we were Disneyland fans, not, not in the crazy way, but we liked to go. But if you ever want to have some good viewing on YouTube, you can just YouTube uh, uh, Temper Tantrums at Disneyland. And uh, I, I, somehow I came across this. I think we were taking our kids a, few, a year or so ago, and I was trying to, you know, just prep them for Disneyland and build the excitement. Not that you even need to do that. But we were watching some YouTube videos, and one of those came up. And, and the funny thing is, it wasn't kids. It was adults having temper tantrums at Disneyland. And, and you know, it's just the happiest place on earth, but yet a lot of... A lot of uh, anger, a lot of frustration, uh, the lines, the kids, uh, everything that's going on. And you see really just in that, that the superficiality of Disneyland and, and the fun that you can have there doesn't really bring true joy. And we see that even in our lives. There's fun times, there's things that we enjoy, the gifts that God has given us that we enjoy, whether it's good food, whether it's uh, uh, going with our family to do something fun, being at the beach, vacations. We love to vacation, love sitting on the beach and enjoying just the beauties of God's creation. But the reality is true joy is often experienced most in times of difficulty, in times of suffering. There is that idea of a paradox, something that doesn't seem like it should be true, but yet 
Yet it is, and there's that paradox of joy in suffering. I don't know if you've ever heard of a man by the name of Samuel Rutherford. He was a Scottish Presbyterian pastor in the 17th century. And he said this when he was faced with persecution and difficulty, the great king keeps his wine in the cellars of affliction. I just thought that was such a a beautiful picture. Charles Spurgeon, I've quoted him already this weekend, but he also said, They who dive into the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. Just, just those word pictures are helpful for us to begin to, to think through the aspect and the paradox of joy in suffering. One author said this, I've come to see that pain and pleasure come to us not as opposites, but as Siamese twins, strangely joined and intertwined. That's helpful for us as we live in a broken world, as we live in a hostile world where suffering could be around the very next corner, we must even now be preparing our minds for action, to be ready, to have the truth within us that will help us fight the fight of faith with joy, even in difficulty. I think sometimes when we talk about joy in Christianity, it can become very easily a fake, plastic smile. Like, I know I'm supposed to be a person of joy. I know I'm supposed to smile through the pain. So I'm going to put the smile on, but yet it, it's, it comes across, and maybe it comes across because it is true, that it's just not real. And so this morning we're not talking about just... Come on, grin and bear it, put that smile on, fake it till you make it type of thing. That's not where we want to be as true believers in Jesus Christ. We want to see this joy be a fruit of the faith that is in our heart. It's going to flow once again, like all these other things have flowed from our identity in Christ, where we were at in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Paul models this so well. He even summarizes this paradox of joy and suffering in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, when he uses that statement, sorrowful, but always rejoicing. The spiritual joy of a redeemed life should be one that is continuous and not conditioned on the changing circumstances of our transient days. Things are always like a roller coaster. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what that next text or phone call that you receive is going to say and communicate. We live in a world with sickness and and disease and difficulty. And so we as Christians, as followers of Christ, must be ready all the time, in our hearts, to live lives with true joy, not because of circumstances, but because of a heart conditioned on truth. A.W. Tozer, Carol, I got it, finally, I've got I knew, I told you, I thought I had a quote from him, says this towards this subject, no man should desire to be happy who is not at the same time holy. No man should desire to be happy who is not at the same time holy. He should spend his effort in seeking to know and do the will of God. So even here at the beginning, as we kind of are setting the stage for joy and happiness in our hearts, we're not just going to try to fake a smile and, and act like we're the happiest people. This needs to be reality. This needs to be true. And it, in a sense, it's not even a pursuit it, of joy. It's the result of our pursuit to know Christ, to be holy as God is holy, to rest in our identity. Tozer goes on to say, he should spend his efforts in seeking to know and do the will of God, leaving to Christ the matter of how happy he should be. And just really focusing our our attention on the heart and our condition and our relationship with Christ. So even here at the beginning, as I was working through this in my mind, is it's like, should we be pursuing joy? Or should we be pursuing 
Christ and joy is going to be a fruit of that. And I, I think it's definitely the latter, but there's times we, we have one of those Hobby Lobby, you know, Christian things in our house that says choose joy. And every time I walk by it, I think through these thoughts and, and working through it. And there is on the, on the everyday level, like, yes, we need to choose joy today. I need to have a thankful heart. Paul tells us that. Be thankful. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. But that flows out of a heart relationship with our Savior. And so I hope that all makes sense as we kind of just set the stage for where we are going this morning. We're going to be in two texts. We've been kind of doing that as we've walked through uh, this, this time together. We're going to be in 1 Peter 1 again. And then we're going to be uh, later on in 1 Peter Four. Um, and so what, what we're going to do is similar to what we did from an outline standpoint as last night, if you were with us, you all were with us last night, you all, um, I don't know, we'll have to catch you up on that uh, time, but it's going to be two main points. One point from 1 Peter 1 verses 6 through 8, and then the second point is going to be just a shorter, briefer point from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. And I, I typically, when I preach, like to give kind of a big idea and, and haven't been doing that too well this weekend. But here's a, a big idea for us. Following Christ with happiness must find its source in our union with Christ. And I think we'll see that in many different ways as we work through this text this morning. So here, the, the thought again is following Christ with happiness must find its source in your union with Christ. Let's look to 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's just start reading at verse 3 again, reminding ourselves of where we started, and then our specific text this morning will begin in verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now verse 6, our text for Uh, This first point, in this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's just pray again as we dive into this passage of scripture. God, we come before you. And I just ask, Lord, that you would bless our time in your word. Uh, we, re- we humble ourselves before your word, and we, we recognize that it is your word that is powerful to change lives. It is your word that speaks to us and reveals yourself to us. We pray we would see you truly for who you are, that we would interpret this text rightly. We would be good students of your word, Lord, that we would exalt you in this text, that Christ would be honored and glorified. And Lord, Holy Spirit, we we pray that you would convict us and open our eyes, illumine our eyes, challenge us, encourage us to be people that are like Jesus. That is our prayer. That is our goal. Thank you for the sweet time we have had this weekend away at this retreat, the, the sweet time of fellowship, the sweet time of fellowship in the word, discussing truths of your word, praying together, singing together, being together. Lord, I pray that this time away has been such a a refreshing time, an encouragement for each and every one of us. Lord, thank you for the time we can have this Sunday morning to honor you and corporately worship you by exalting you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
So number one in our short outline this morning would be this. A Christian's joy, that is our theme, a Christian's joy flows from the security of salvation. I think we'll see this clearly laid out in verses 6 through 8 specifically. But a Christian's joy flows from the security of salvation. It is that hope that we talked about in the session one. Underneath this main heading, a Christian's joy flowing out of our security of our salvation in Christ, the object of our hope, we will see four things, I think, here in this text, answering the question, why can we rejoice in trials? Why is it that we as Christians are able to not just slap on a fake plastic smile, but truly, even through tears, rejoice because Christ is our hope? Why why specifically from this text? Number one, underneath that first main point, joy reaches beyond the immediate. It reaches beyond the immediate and it moves us to the eternal. This is a simple thought, but it is also so profound and it is life-changing as we truly grasp it. In, in much of 1 Peter, there is this pulling us towards the eternal, looking ahead to the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have seen that time and time again. In verse 5, it even said our faith for salvation was being um, guarded. God's power was being, let me just read it. Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We had seen already in verse 3, through a resurrection of Jesus from the dead, this inheritance that was imperishable, undefiled, unfading, all of this language was giving us hope to the future. Hope itself looks with anticipation. We've, we've talked about this with confident expectation towards the future. And so now as we consider, consider time again, he uses the language in verse 6, in this you rejoice, and then he gives us this little parenthetical though now for a little while. And what follows is not maybe what we would expect. Well, hey, rejoice because we're going to party together. We're going to just be living in ease and comfort and and everything we could ever desire is going to come to fulfillment. That's not what he continues to say. He continues to say that there's going to be trials. There's going to be testing of our faith. And so to prepare us for what he's about to say, he takes this little parentheses and he says, although for a little while. And then we just pause with that statement and we consider the time that we spend here on this earth. We consider time in light of eternity. All throughout scripture, especially in the New Testament, we see the New Testament authors challenging followers of Christ to live with an eternal perspective. Perspective is so important for us, right? If we don't have a true biblical perspective on things, we're gonna, our, our thinking is going to be skewed. It it's, maybe can be illustrated by a, a simple illustration where even on an earthly level, we realize that we can do a lot of things if it's only for a short time. I just had a conversation, what was it, this morning, about camping. And, and it was like, yeah, I could do camping as long as it's only two nights. You know, like, I, I could do anything as long as it's just a little bit of time. And so we understand that even from a human perspective, and, and Peter writing to these suffering exiles, sojourners, pilgrims, encourages them with even this truth. Christian, life here on on this earth is so short. And and whether we are called to be martyred for our faith, whether we are called to be slandered at the workplace because of our faith, whether we are called to lose our job because we are standing for our faith, whatever it is in the hostile world in which we live, if our perspective is true, if our perspective is right, we can still have joy because we know this earth is not our home. We're just a passing through, right? And so that is so helpful for us. 
Our hope in Christ points us beyond the trials. Our troubles last only for a little while, but our hope in Christ is forever. Peter returns to this theme in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, verse 10. If you just turn a page, he says, And after you have suffered, what are the next three English words? After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So this is really even in the whole letter of 1 Peter, a bookend type of truth. Christian, as you suffer, and as you seek to suffer with joy, you can suffer with joy if you retain the right perspective that the brevity of life versus the etern- eternity of heaven forever with God, you got to stay rooted in that. We see this truth paralleled in Paul's writings, Romans chapter 8. Would you turn with me really quick over to Romans chapter 8? Romans chapter 8, and we'll read verses 18 through 25. I, I think it's worth our time to see some of these parallel passages. We did a lot of those last night, and, and Paul mimics and, and speaks these same truths in the book of Romans. When he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the Son of, sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Some similar thoughts of time, of understanding but there is the groaning of, the, of creation. There is this world's suffering, but yet we wait with anticipation knowing that this is just a little while. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, you don't need to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Verse 16, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way of glory beyond all comparison. It's not even comparable. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And then he says in chapter 5, verse 1, For we know that if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So the the question for us is, Christian, are we living with this perspective? Are we living with this perspective of eternity? Or are we is our head so down? Are we so focused on our material possessions and, and all the earthly comforts that when trials come and those comforts are removed and the difficulties of testing come, we don't have the right perspective. We, don't, we aren't able to have joy because we have been so tied and clinging so tightly to the things of here that we haven't even considered. It's not even a comparison. The beauties and the realities of eternity with God forever. He says various trials, not just a little while, but will be grieved with various trials. Do you remember James speaking of this? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So it's the whole gamut. It's all the things that we're going to face. But we need to face them with joy. Number two, not only can we have joy, 
because of the security of our salvation, that's where our joy is flowing out of. And we can say we can have joy with that right perspective because joy reaches beyond the immediate to the eternal. But secondly, joy rests in the object of your trust and belief and faith. Throughout this whole text, there is this underlying object of our faith being in Christ and the, and the testing of that faith and the growing of that faith. Do you see that in verse 7? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor. So there is an emphasis that Peter gives to us that we can have joy as we see our faith tested. Our, our object of faith is in Christ, Christ crucified, his perfect life, his death, his resurrection. And as we consider our trust in Christ, our belief in him, our faith that is grounded in him, we rejoice because we know that this faith is going to be tested and grown. Even going back to verse 6, where we really see this, this point that joy rests in the object of our faith. We see it in just the two English words in this, you rejoice. And the question that we can ask is what is the antecedent of that in this? The pronoun this is referring to what? And there's a few different answers. That's one of the questions you can discuss in your small groups this week. But I would just, I, I take the view that it refers to really all of verses 3 through 5 that, that Peter has been describing. The, the identity of the believer, the hope of the believer in this that I just shared with you. That you have hope, living hope, that you have been caused, you have, God the Father has caused you to be born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ. You have this inheritance. It's kept by God. All of these things in this you can rejoice not in your own good works, not in the sense that you think, you know, you have anything to, to be praised for or to take security in, but only in the grace of God, demonstrated to us in the salvation through Jesus Christ, kept for us. That is the object of our faith. In this we rejoice. Rejoice here is an interesting word. It was fun to do a, a little word study and see different commentators talk about this word because it is a word in the Greek language that is not used by secular Greek writers. But it is used many times in the New Testament and it is used as you kind of trace the word through the New Testament to talk specifically about rejoicing in spiritual realities. We see this in Luke 1, 46 through 47. As Mary sings praise to God, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in what? My God, my Savior. She rejoices in the spiritual realities of God, her Savior. We see this even in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5. 11 through 12, there in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things against you falsely on my account, living well in a hostile world. Jesus is teaching on that right there. And then he uses the word rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We see that all throughout the storyline of Scripture, as you follow Christ, there will be persecution, but rejoice. Luke 10, 21. We're going to come back to this at the end in our conclusion, but it's in the context of the 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in the book of heaven, written in heaven. We see the Philippian jailer in Acts 16.34. He uses this word. 
when he rejoiced with all his household that he had believed in God. This is a joy that is a joy of salvation. It is a spiritually prompted joy. Number three, this is a joy that results in praise and glory and honor. Even through the tested genuineness of our faith, the growth and the, we'll see that a little more in the second point, we see that the result is to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you would turn with me to Romans chapter 5. We were in Romans 8 earlier. I want you to see another very key passage on joy and suffering. And Romans chapter 5 is such a, a sweet place to go because just as we have been saying from Peter's epistle, this joy flows out of a result of our identification with Christ, our identity of salvation, our being called out are being regenerated, and even specifically the word and the theology used in Romans 5 is our justification, being made right with God. And Romans 5 is is such an amazing passage as he says, Paul, speaking of our justification, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been made right. Verse 2, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And then he says, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that we rejoice in our sufferings, sorry, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here in Romans 5, we see the results of our justification. We see the fruit of our faith. We see peace, we see grace, we see joy, we see hope, we see how these things lead to other things, and how that as we suffer, and as we rejoice in our suffering, there is endurance produced in character, and then hope again, and all of this has been given to us through the Holy Spirit. And that sheds light as we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and the phrase of 1 Peter where he says this joy results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 7. There's discussion of, of is this our praise? Does it result in our praise and our glory and our honor to Jesus? Or is this Jesus honoring us as the saints with praise and glory and honor? I'm not, I'm not going to answer that for you. You can go ask Pastor Roger. But here, here's, here's what we're going to take from it right now. There's reciprocal activity going on here. As we praise and honor and glorify God Almighty at the revelation of Jesus Christ, even with our life, he receives, we receive praise and glory and honor. And, and those crowns that even we receive, what do we do with them? We throw them back at the feet of our Savior. And so there is that reciprocal relationship even here going on. One commentator said about this passage and about the testedness of our faith and the trials and about the joy in the trials and how this does result in glory, praise, and honor. He said, our trials are never forgotten by the Lord. He keeps our tears in his bottle. Psalm 56, 8. Paul says that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 2 Corinthians 4. Our present sufferings cannot be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8. Peter, too, speaks of the crown of glory that does not fade away, that we will receive when Christ comes, 1 Peter 5, 4. 
Our faith will then be found to be precious, for by it we and he, God, will receive praise, glory, and honor. Peter saw the glory of the Lord when he was transfigured on the mountain. He heard the promise of his re- um, he heard the promise of his return as Jesus ascended into the clouds. And here for us as the reader, after being an eyewitness of the glory of the Lord, he once again speaks to us as followers of Christ and looks forward to that glory once again. That's another reason for our joy. Not only does joy reach, we can have joy because joy reaches beyond the immediate to the eternal at rest. And the object of our faith, trust, and belief, joy results in that praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. But finally here for this first point, joy rejoices with inexpressible weightiness. Glory comes with it, that idea of just a weightiness. Joy that is inexpressible, verse 8, and filled with glory. This is a quality and sincerity of communication, of passionate fervent joy that can only be communicated after testing of various trials. You, you, you kind of get this, right? With just even like someone who comes to speak to you, like what, what are their credentials? I shouldn't have brought that up as I come to speak to you. But like what, what do they got? The, like what are, they, what are they bringing with them? Like have they been through any life experiences? Like I want a professional I want someone who has been through this. If he's going to speak to me about difficulty, he better have, he better have gone through something tough. You know, there's, just, there's that aspect to it. And as our faith is tested and tried and gone through the fire and been refined, there's the sense of, man, that joy is so much sweeter. That joy is so much more inexpressible. Like Pastor Roger even said as we sing that last hymn, we don't have words to describe I want to share with you an illustration from history of one of those dear saints and martyrs who have gone before us who have really suffered and been persecuted for their faith. I read this in my study this this week in preparing for this, that there is a a museum in southern France that commemorates the suffering of the Huguenot martyrs when Louis... The 14th revoked the Edict of Nantes in 1685 that Protestant public worship was made a crime. So individuals who were caught at secret worship services in the fields were sent to the galleys, chained to a rowing bench. They slaved at the oars until they died. If you go to this museum in southern France today, you can see a replica of one of the great galley oars which hangs in the museum today. And underneath it is a model of a galley, and beside it are inscribed the words of a reformed Christian galley slave who was persecuted for his faith, arrested and chained to the galleys. And on that inscription, it says, My chains are the chains of Christ's love. And you just consider that. And you consider how that, with inexpressible words, his life communicated the joy he had even in the trials. What a powerful example of rejoicing with joy with inexpressible language. Now our second point. If you flip over to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, we will see that a Christian joy, a Christian's joy not only flows from the security that they have in their salvation, but a Christian's joy flourishes. It grows as we suffer like our Savior. We see this all through the book. We saw it in chapter 1, but we see it even more clearly here in chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, specifically, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The contrast, but rejoice, our theme for this morning. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Here in our our second point, that a Christian's joy flourishes 
as they suffer like their Savior. We see a clear contrast between the truths in 12 and 13. Beloved, don't be surprised, number one, at trials. And then instead of being surprised, rejoice. And so we are told by Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as followers of Jesus Christ in a hostile world, be ready because when trials do come, and they will, right? We, we live in a broken world, and as we stand for our faith, they will come. But when they come, don't be surprised, but rejoice. I remember... Um, Early in the pandemic, I led a group through Surprised by Suffering by R.C. Sproul. It was such a good study uh, on Ligonier's website. And, and there's the, it taken from this text here that we as, as Christians should not be surprised by suffering. Jesus predicted that we would go through these experiences, right? We read the passage in Matthew chapter 5. We see this in John 15, verse 20. This was going to be the norm. 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we should not be surprised when we face testing, trials, persecution, suffering. All throughout the canon of Scripture, even the Old Testament, we see the, the wisdom of Proverbs that the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and a man is tested by his praise. We see over and over, we should not be surprised by suffering. But we should rejoice. We see the testimony of the apostles. We see the testimonies of those uh, French Huguenots even who suffered and were martyred. We see the testimony of all many who have gone before us. But we also see the testimony of Peter himself. Again, one of the great things about studying even First Peter is going back and studying Acts and see, or even in the gospel accounts and seeing how Peter learned and lived with Christ and then how he lived those things out. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, when Peter and the apostles were thrown into prison and then they were released and, and put before the council, we read in verse 41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Like, man, if we could just have that same mindset. Life is not about me. I'm not living for my comfort. I'm not living for my own popularity or prestige or for co collecting the materials of this world. My life is about Christ. So if Christ can be glorified and exalted more through my suffering and through my trials, may it be and may I rejoice in those things. Peter lived this out and he has the credentials to be able to stand in front of us in the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit and to say, don't be surprised, but rather rejoice. Faith realizes that the ground for rejoicing does not lie in the suffering itself, but in the fellowship with Christ that that suffering brings. We probably are never more like Christ than when we are suffering for Christ. May we as Christians in this current postmodern world we live in, with all the creature comforts that we have, be able to wrap our minds around this truth. Your suffering in the present, puts you in a position of looking to the past suffering of Christ in your, with your faith, and, and then with hope, looking forward to the future and the return and the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it puts you in a position to be able to do that with a watching church around you and a watching world around you, to stand and exalt Christ in your suffering. I think in the inexpressible nature of that joy, it is expressed in a powerful way to those who see us suffering. 
Is it weird that in a letter about suffering, we can see these themes of joy? It shouldn't be. If we have a biblical perspective and a biblical mindset, it shouldn't be strange at all. We see that in Philippians. We see that all over Scripture. And as we bring this to a point of application, as we've worked through these two key texts in First Peter, just ask yourself these questions. How do you deal with daily difficulties? We've seen, even in the text, Peter this week say not to grumble, but that is a natural response. That was the response of the Israelites over and over, to grumble. We know that the response in suffering is not self-reliance, trying to fix it on our own. We know that the response in suffering shouldn't be discouragement and depression or despair, but yet we often find ourselves there. We know that the response to suffering shouldn't be questioning and unbelief. Why, God, did you allow this to happen? Or, or maybe what if I would have done something differently? Things could have been different. We know the response shouldn't be worry or anxiety because we can trust our Father, the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. We know that from Scripture, the answer is clear. We deal with the daily difficulties of life and even the persecution of following Christ in a hostile world with joy. That is God's way for us. I had the opportunity to travel, um, I was telling some of you guys this, in grad school for the seminary I was attending, and I went to like 50 churches in the West in, in this specific circle of Christianity. And it was discouraging, because as I walked into many of those churches, there was just a kind of a sadness, a countenance of just not joy, and they're, they're not in all of them, but in many of them. And so as followers of Christ, may that never be said of us. May that never be said of, of Grace Church. May that never be said of First Baptist Church San Bruno. May we be a people that just on the countenance of our face and the countenance of our life, show the joy of our salvation. And in specifically in the purposes of trials and pain, would we be able to show that joy? C.S. Lewis said it so well, this very famous quote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Joy is not the natural response to trouble. But as we trust God, as we understand our identity and our hope in Christ, we can be people of true joy. Knowing the purposes of trials, will you respond this week? Will you respond today with the right perspective and even the right proclamation of joy with your head, your mindset, your, your heart, your affections, and with your hands, how you engage with the world around us? mentioned I would come back to Luke chapter 10 and I want to compare Luke chapter 10 and how it speaks of joy because he says this is the the context of the 72 coming back your names are written in heaven versus Habakkuk 318 where that text says yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will be joyful in the God of my salvation there's prayers that I receive every day in my email inbox, and this was taken from one of those prayers. And the prayer comes from these two texts of scriptures, and the author of these prayers said this. As he prays these scriptures, he says, Lord Jesus. There's two contrasting stories here in Luke 10 and Habakkuk 3. In Luke 10, 72 disciples return from a successful mission. They're high-fiving each other with joy because their victory over the powers of darkness. But in the second example, in Habakkuk 3.18, the prophet Habakkuk expresses confusion and heartache as the armies of Babylon approach Jerusalem to invade and destroy it. 
The 72 disciples watched the darkness flee, and Habakkuk saw the darkness coming. In both stories, though, we see the call to anchor our joy and our hope in you, Jesus, not in anything or anyone else. There is a joy, he continues, that trumps all joys, surpasses all gladness, and redefines happiness itself. It's nevertheless joy. Sometimes our dance-worthy circumstances outnumber our whining-worthy circumstances. But nevertheless, our joy must be in you, Jesus, and what you've done for us, period. Other times, like Habakkuk, we feel confused. We feel sadness. We feel fear. Events and circumstances contradict our understanding of what it means to belong to you. And in those stretches, our joy has to be yet joy. Life does get hard, really hard. Yet as you give us grace, Lord, and strength, we will rejoice in you. Because you are the God of our salvation. We are called to keep on rejoicing, not in spite of our afflictions, but even better yet, because of our afflictions. Would we be the kind of people of God that not only choose joy on a daily basis, but we begin to see such growth in our understanding of our hope in Christ that that joy becomes a natural response, really a supernatural response, because of how we have continued to grow in a right understanding, in a right perspective of an eternal life lived well on this temporal earth in Christ. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for not only the hope that we have in salvation in Christ, the living hope, we are thankful for uh, the time we spent in First Peter pursuing how that hope transforms us and we pursue holiness in Christ as new creatures in Christ and loving one another differently in that harmony. And then finally, as we spent so much time this morning just considering what that happiness looks like, what true joy in the God of our salvation looks like in the midst of pain and trial and suffering. God, this is a, a, this is a supernatural kind of joy. It, it's not natural to respond with joy when things hurt. So God, would you give us that strength in your spirit to live how you have called us to live? And would we obey with the attitudes of our heart? Would we, would we continue to be transformed with the affections of our heart? that our priorities would be so in line with your priorities, Lord, that even if you choose to allow us to go through pain today, we can face that pain with joy. That is our prayer. That is our desire for each and every one of us here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.